We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, before we get into the podcast today and listen to Drew being a lunatic, I got to tell you guys about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast right here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. They're going to be taking their time, that's one thing. So I spoke with sources within the Jets organization last night after the decision was made. Um, Joe Douglas, the GM, who was hired last year and did not hire Adam Gase, is going to be the point person on this search. They're going to cast a very wide net. This is not going to be one of those hires where the Jets have a head coach tomorrow or Wednesday. This is going to be, let's interview a lot of candidates. Let's see how they mesh with Joe. Let's see what we can do. Um, Jaime Elhai is the president. He will have a role in this. And then Christopher Johnson will have the final decision. But this is Joe Douglas's search, and this is going to be his first giant test as Jets GM. It was his first draft last year. Makai Becton looks like a home run. Denzel Mims looks really good. Let's see how they handle this one because I think it's coach. And then, of course, it's what do we do with our quarterback position. They have the number two overall pick. They also have Sam Darnold. 
And it could be a trade of the pick. It could be a trade for Darnold. It could be keep Darnold, trade the pick. It's fascinating to see what they do. But to Kim's point, I think offense, defense, that's not what's at play here. It's who is going to be the best CEO, leader type, and start a culture that the Jets are proud of. It's going to be on Joe Douglas and the rest of that search committee to do it. But they're not hiring an outside firm. They're doing it internally. I like that. Welcome, everybody, to the week 17 edition of the AFC East Roundup. I'm your host, Drew Gear, and that's Chris Kruger of the Rock Pile Report podcast. And that was Peter Schrager talking about the Jets' head coaching search over on NFL Network's Good Morning Football. Only one head coaching search going on in this this year in the AFC East. Yeah, that, I mean, it's the Jets. They're terrible. They need to cast a wide net. Wouldn't it be crazy to think that maybe someday this division could have no head coaching searches for like a three-year window. I don't even know if that's happened. Has it? I don't know. Belichick's gotten a lot of people fired. (laughs) We know that from experience. (laughs) As we take a look back at the final week of the NFL season, week 17, and I guess the theme of tonight's show is looking back even before that. You look at the final standings, Chris. The Bills 13-3 and sitting in first place. The Bills put an exclamation point on their best regular season in almost, what? 30 almost years. 30 years. By not only walloping the Dolphins, but managing to do absurd damage with their starters in literally a single quarter of play. The, at this point, there's nobody out there who doesn't think they're the hottest team in football entering the postseason. I, is, did they not have the best game leading into the playoffs of any playoff team? They've been the best team for the last month. They've taken the Patriots' typical spot as the only AFC East franchise to make the postseason. How about that? Yeah, I like that. How do you like them apples? <laughs> in second place, you've got the Miami Dolphins at 10-6 and six in inauspicious fashion. The Dolphins' season ended in Buffalo on a cold and snowy day in one of the most demoralizing ways possible. Just watching everything that they believed that they had working to their advantage fail them in epic fashion. The Patriots are sitting in third with seven and nine, their first losing season since the early 2000s. 2000 to be exact. This weekend was the first meaningless week, the first meaningless final week of the regular season in for as long as I can remember. Like not even like, hey, we're resting our starters, but hey, this is a throwaway game because we've already checked out. We're already making our golf schedules. And then you've got the New York Jets. What can I say about the New York Jets at this point? <laughs> You're 2 and 14. You set, as a franchise, I think they set a new baseline for what horrible teams are in this division. Yeah, they were awful across the board. They were an all-time bad a, ver- a level of bad that Chris now it's going to redefine like when in the future 20 years from now when someone tries to say, "Ah, those Buffalo Bills, they sucked. They had a terrible year." You're always going to be able to look back and go, yeah, but remember the 2020 Jets? So we're closing this week's show. One word to describe your 2020 season. Highlights and lowlights with all of our guests. I figure I figure it's only fair to take a look back over the season that was because really nobody else is moving on except for us. And I'll drink to that, Chris. And so as we kick this off, Chris, the recap of the 2020 season, team by team throughout the AFC East, We have to start. It would be a crime if we didn't start with the Miami Dolphins, who just lost 56-26 to in Buffalo. And with us to talk about it tonight, Mr. Alfar Tiaga, how are you doing? 
Good. Was that all? That's it? F- just 56 points? <laughs> just did it feel like more than that? It did. After a while, it did. You know, uh, and after, you know, and, and it was just it was I don't know. It was one of those things where you just kept looking at it and you're like, OK, now they give up a punt return touchdown and now they give up a pick six. Yeah, this is not going to happen. <laughs> It's just like it's like when you're watching a boxing match and you're what you're sitting there and you're going, okay, so the this okay, so this uh, fighter's landing the he's landing the left hook. All right, well that seems to be working for him. Oh, and he also lands. Oh, well, no, I guess he's landing uppercuts, and then he's getting straight rights. Everything at this point, it's just coming from every angle, and it just seemed like that was the story of the game Sunday for the Dolphins. I mean, <laughs> no. Season across the division, maybe even the NFL, ended with a more emphatic thud than yours did on Sunday. I mean, in losing to the Bills the way you guys did, you opened the door for the manic portion of the Dolphins fan base that loves to overreact to essentially climb up on the ledge and start screaming. Now, the theme mm-hmm. of this show is <laughs> one of the opening questions we have for every guest tonight is describe your 2020 season in a word. What word would you use? Progress, although the last game was disappointing, really, because it was completely out of character. You know, th- th- there was no evidence. I was arguing with somebody else. It's like, okay, uh, you know, you think th- if this was completely in character for this team, then they should have been like one and fifteen, and not ten and six, and not have the same point differential as the Bills going into the last week, and not have an average margin of victory of thirteen points in those ten games. So and that's with one game that they won by one point. So that's actually skewed. They were a good team. They just did not show up and they faced maybe the best team in the AFC, one of the top 3 teams in the NFL. They were ready to play and Dolphins clearly were not. Now we talked and about the, that's we, the result. We talked about this a little bit in our Rockpile Report podcast this week. What do you attribute that to? I mean, this was a game where Everybody looked at this saying, I mean, Chris, we talked about it, how Miami was the team coming in with everything to lose. And we were the team that had only really a moderate amount to gain from a win. So you just kind of assumed based on your the evidence that had been laid out in front of you for each team. I mean, you assumed that we were going to lose that game just by nature of we were going to play our backups at some point, right? Yeah, well, I didn't think Josh Allen was going to play at all. Exactly. And then at the same time, we didn't assume that once the first of all, you didn't see Josh Allen coming out and dropping twenty eight points in a quarter, but you also didn't see our backups outscoring the Miami Dolphins in a single half of football. And I think the reason you didn't see that is because to this point, Miami has been one of the more predictable teams in terms of you know the preparation they're going to bring every week, you know the tenacity their defense is going to play with every week. And somehow in this game that meant everything, you saw a lot of that evaporate over the course of the over the course of the game. What do you attribute some of that to? Yeah, I have no idea, and it was one. It was just one of those things where you really don't know, you know, what what to make of it. The game starts off, and it starts off, you know, right in character with what we do, what the Dolphins do. They got a turnover, they got an interception. Byron Jones gets an interception, gets his feet down. They have a short field. Then they kick a field goal, and then you start noticing, okay, this is not usually what we do. We don't usually kick field goals on short fields. We usually convert that into touchdowns, and our defense holds on. After three drives, it looked like the Dolphins were just going to try to run out the clock from the, from, 
from the beginning, and especially on the first half, because I had said, and I, I believe I told you guys last week that I thought that what made a lot of sense was for the Bills to go full blow, full blown, you know, balls to the wall in the first half with all your starters, and then just sit everybody, regardless of what the situation was, mm-hmm. you know. So it looked to me like the Dolphins were planning kind of to run out the clock on your starters in the first half and then just, you know, try to beat up on your, your backups. Essentially pull a rope a dope. Just kind of lay back on the ropes, let us come at yeah. you for the first half, and then afterwards, once we punched ourselves out and decided we were going to throw our backups out there, that's when you guys were going to feast. Yeah, and then you started see, you started noticing what was, what was going on. You know, uh, McKenzie was just, you know, destroying Nick Needham, which was also out of character. He's had such a great season, Nick Needham in the slot. He starts beating him up and down the field. And then the offense just starts dropping pass after pass after pass, and their running game is going nowhere. And you start noticing, okay, this is going south and south in a hurry. And really that, that punt return touchdown was the one that did it. Because if not, they might have gotten out of that first half with as minimal damage as you could after that avalanche that had happened in the second quarter. Well, I mean, it, and then it just it compiled. I mean, all credit to Antonio Williams. But, Chris, did you have any idea who the hell he was before this game? No, I had no idea. <laughs> and you're watching him run as if he thinks he's Derrick Henry through your yeah. defense, just plowing through guys, yards after contact. I mean, he was playing like his hair was on fire, which is what you get, I think, a lot of the times when you put some of these hungry, younger guys who are just happy to be out there. And that, in and of itself, kind of encapsulates what I think went wrong, is that the Bills had all these backups who were just... Williams is a perfect example. He was thrilled to get out there. He was revving his engine ready to go, and he got out there on that football field against the Dolphins team that had just taken a beating. And they just didn't, they couldn't match the energy that the team was bringing at that point. No. So when we look back at this, your season, it ended on Sunday with that loss to the Bills. But there's highlights and lowlights in every every season. What would you say some of the highlights of this 2020 season were for you guys over there as a franchise? Well, the highlights were obviously, even in in some of the losses, the I would say the the Seattle game where it was obvious that you know we left that we left that that victory on the field because you can't have five trips inside the 10-yard line and come away with five field goals and then lose by a touchdown and then think okay they outplayed you. So I would say the Seattle game when they were hot that was a, a highlight even in a loss and the other one that was a highlight in a loss was the Kansas City Chiefs game where you know, they were down and they worked their way back into the game. And you could see them like, you know, calmly breathing and matriculating themselves back into the scoreboard and back into an opportunity to win the game. This was the exact opposite. This was just complete and total panic as soon as they went down 28 to 6. Which players do you think stood out positively to you the most over the course of this season? I mean, obviously your star cornerback. <laughs> Your star cornerback there, uh, I mean, he's obviously an all-pro this year. Uh, defensive MVP? I mean, do you think he deserves to win it? Uh, the defensive player of the year, well, you know, nobody played well against Buffalo. No. And and I went over this. I went over this. Uh, not even the long snapper. The long snapper missed. He may have snapped the ball okay, but he even missed the tackle on the punt. 
on the punt return. <laughs> so even our, our all-pro kicker, who never misses, almost missed that 44-yarder because he hit it short. So nobody played well. And Xavier Howard, yes, he got his 10th interception, and that's nice. But he got beat by Gabriel Davis late well, in the game. I mean, that's one of those things, though. That, that team had already quit. So, But in totality, when you take a look at what the 2020 season was, Xavier Howard had, again, a, a hell of a season, which I think justified his contract, because I know that there was Dolphins fans upset when they saw his extension, and then he immediately gets hurt. There was questions about whether or not he was going to pay dividends or live up to his contract. This season, I think he absolutely did. Who mm-hmm. are some other players that really you look at as bright spots for you guys over the 2020 season? On defense, it was uh, the two linebackers, Jerome Baker and Kyle Vannoy. And the defensive tackles, uh, I told you guys, and I think that our preseason sh- show that you guys did, and you asked me about if there was a rookie that I was excited about, and that was Raekwon Davis. He was named to the PFF All-Pro rookie team. And in my opinion, he was the best defensive tackle this year out of all the rookies. And he was really good. He was really good from, like, week four on, which is when he started getting snaps. Christian Wilkins is living up to – all the hype that he got as a rookie last year. He was really, really good this year. Basically, everybody on defense was good. On the offensive side of the ball, those rookies on the offensive line were really pressed into action, and some of them played really well, and some kind of sputtered home at the end. Can we call call Solomon Kenley a solid win for you guys? Yes, although it was strange that he gets injured, and then he's ready to come back, and they decide to play Eric Flowers, who, yeah, they paid money to and who have been pretty good. But they decide to play him over Solomon Kinley the last three games, and Eric Flowers was absolutely dreadful in the last three games after he came back from his injury, which at the time I thought it was going to be a really bad injury. But, yeah, on the offensive side of the ball, it's just the rookie offensive lineman that looked good. Tua got to play, got to start nine games. He had six successful starts. He had some really rough, rough games. That Denver game was awful, and the Buffalo game, obviously, he wasn't good. But, you know, the the, the Raider game, you can blame some of that on, on play calling because mm-hmm. you know, they did pull him at 16-13. So, you know, I don't blame him as much there. So it was a developmental, you know, the, the developmental nature of what they tried to do on offense. And, you know, what you ended up with really at the end was you really only trust two guys on the offensive side of the ball. And both guys were injured this year, and Devontae Parker and Mike Gusecki. Well, and I think that's the thing is a lot of what you guys had going positively kind of got spoiled there at the end because it really did unravel quickly. And that brings us to the low light side of things. Now, for you personally, because I know for a fact that you had to block a number of our listeners. I know. I'm going to apologize on their behalf. Actually, no. Bills fans were very well behaved. For Only the most one part. got blocked. I know for a fact that some of our listeners came at you, and I just saw it and was like, ah, this is, <laughs> this is what happens. But here's what I'll say. On this podcast last week, and I, I knew this was going to come up. I was getting DMs about it. I was getting emails from people about it. They were like, elf, this elf guy is out of his mind. Uh, I want to know, halftime of the game, I'm getting DMs from people going, I want to know what your friend Alf thinks about this. Because they're talking about how last week you came on this show and told everybody that you had the utmost faith in Tua. And I we watch him go out and have the game that he had. I mean, the split that we came up with, at, we were talking about it in the Rockpile Report, was 
At one point, he was 12 of 19 for 89 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, and Lynn Bowden was one of one for 32 yards. He had is like almost half of the yardage of your starting quarterback. <laughs> so when you look at it and you saw what happened when there was no one else to turn to, and that when Tua was asked to be aggressive with a script, he could pull it off. But as soon as that scripted series ended, it just became really difficult for him to push the ball down the field again. That level of faith that you said you had in him, did at any point Sunday, did you question that? No. <laughs> did, did, did it ever? Not, not, not that he's your long-term answer, because trust me, we lived through the Josh Allen experiment. In 2018, there was people myself included, who said that this was a this was an awful mistake, that we were going to live to regret this, that I hated the choice. It just, to that season, as someone who hated the pick, made me feel better about my hatred for it. And I'm sure there's Dolphins fans out there that would, who didn't like Tua or have decided not to that are going to hang on to this game as this is the reason why I don't like him and this is why he shouldn't be our quarterback. But at any point, was your faith in him shaken? Or is this just to you a combination of poor coordinator effort, poor performance? No, and and I'll give you one stat. 11 drop passes in that game. 11 for 147 yards. Let's say you just add that and keep the interceptions. He would have thrown for 518 yards in that game. <laughs> okay? So, I'm not you know, he wasn't good, but he wasn't the reason that they that they lost. They lost because you guys scored 56 points on them. So, <laughs> all right, he doesn't play defense. He doesn't play special teams either. You want to you want to saddle him with that that pick six? Sure. Devontae Parker shouldn't fall down and then have Tuatunga Bailoa throw it right at Josh Norman because your all-pro receiver falls down. Okay? So, yeah, you can't really saddle him with that. He's a rookie. I posted his extrapolated numbers for the entire season. Most fan bases, if they got that out of their rookie, they would love it. So, I think honestly, it's just a disappointing end. But I, I think what's driving a lot of this is people watching Justin Herbert going, I wish yeah. I had that. The same way Bills fans went through this when Josh Allen was struggling and Patrick Mahomes is slaying out in Kansas City. And everyone kept saying, well, if we'd only done this and if we'd only done that. And the argument we kept making as Bills fans was he wouldn't be the same player here because he's going to have the same problems that our current player is having. The, the, uh, a young offensive line, no skill players. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's the story of Josh Allen in 2018 is what I think we saw some of with Tua Tagovailoa this year. And it blew up in this last game. Also, I'd like to point out a low light. Uh, Howard Simon, WGR Radio, tweets out today, Did you know that Miami has allowed just 20 touchdown passes this season and seven of those 20 have come from Josh Allen? That's... Yeah. But we <laughs> talked about this in the preseason. The, 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 and our, my partner on the Three Yards Per Carry podcast, Chris Kaufman, pointed it out that it goes a little bit deeper than that, that it has to be a Brian Flores thing. It's not a Josh Allen owns Miami thing. I think it's a... He sees something in Brian Flores' defense. Maybe the Dolphins are just too aggressive with too many blitzes, and he just picks them apart. So they're going to have to go this offseason, and that's going to be that's going to have to be something that they're going to have to pay a lot of attention to, because if they want to take the next step, and they have the resources to vastly improve this team. 
Well, and that was going to be my question, because everybody, I'm, I'm ending the conversation with a 2020 silver lining as you move past this season into the next one. But I already think I know what yours is. I mean, you guys are a team that literally came one win short of the playoffs, and you're going to have a top three pick. I don't think that's ever happened before. Mm. The war chest of assets that you guys have at your disposal, plus a 10 going coming off of a 10-win season. Tell me that that's not the silver lining of 2020 for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, you can't look at uh, – first of all, the Dolphins are the youngest team in the NFL, right? And you kind of like the draft you just had. And now you're going to have four picks in the top 50 and $33 million in cap space. So you could add a lot more talent to a 10-win team already. So, yeah, there's, there's nothing to be you know, downtrodden about after this. You know, it's disappointing that it ended this way. But, you know, the, yeah, the future is extremely bright. Well, I'll tell you what. We talked about it last week. I'm looking forward to a genuine renewal of the Bills-Dolphins rivalry. I mean, going back to the days when I'm yelling at my dad as a 12-year-old asking why Brian Cox isn't being thrown in jail for flipping off our fans. Because as a kid, I I guess I thought that's how the law worked. But either way, I'm looking forward to a return to that. It It seems like even though you guys didn't make the cut for the postseason this year, you guys are on your way. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social and what you guys have coming up for the offseason? Yeah, you can find me uh, at Alf underscore Artiago, of course. And uh, you can find our podcast at the letter, the number three yards per carry. And you can get our podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, free agency, and then the draft, which is kind of our specialty. It's our most busiest season, really, of the entire year. So I think any fan would enjoy that. And so as we move around the division, we've reached the New York Jets. <laughs> the New York Jets, who lost to the Patriots this weekend, bringing their season to a close. Here to talk to us, as always, is Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. And I want to open this with the singular question. One word to describe the 2020 season. Go. Pain. how on a scale i don't even know if you can uh, subscribe a number to this or ascribe a number to it because this would be like the spinal tap scale where it can go to 11 i when you talk about the suffering of a fan base the jets are one of those teams that you guys have been up and down you've had some highlights and some lowlights you haven't been to a super bowl since the 60s when most of your fan base wasn't even alive and you wins really gratifying things have been hard to come by over the last 30 years for the for the jets so with that as your frame of reference how much did this season hurt i think the biggest thing that hurt really was well it was twofold everybody knew that case was a mistake so it was just kind of riding that out so that one didn't hurt so much but what really hurt was, A, the realization that Sam Darnold is terrible. And look, that's not to say that he can't eventually become better. Maybe he will. But as of right now, after three years, he's terrible. And that was a really bitter pill to swallow. The other thing, of course, was that once most of us did swallow that bitter pill, we were all on board the tanking train. And then that ended up not happening, too. So it was like a double shot to the groin this season. And at the end, they got the two wins. They got the second pick. Darnold looks really, really bad. And so 
yeah, they have draft picks. Yeah, they have money. And yeah, now there's the coaching search. So you have to hope that they finally get these things right. But it really is frustrating because three years ago, we thought that we weren't going to have to worry about what the team was going to do at quarterback for a really long time. And now we're right back in the same boat where we're hoping that they get it right again. I'm listening to you describe the dichotomy of the, the fall of the fall from grace of Sam Darnold, the Adam Gase situation. And all I can picture in my head is Jim Carrey in Ace Ventura Pet Detective 2 where he has a spear stuck in each thigh and he's just screaming at each of them individually. Like that's what I feel like life has become for Jets fans. And it's, it's, it sucks. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Shaden Freud. You know that we're petty individuals. We enjoy the suffering of others, but it's reached a point with the Jets where you're like, okay, I hope this ends because how much more can a fan base take? I know as a Bills fan, we've been in some dark places. You guys are pretty much trumping anything I've seen in my time as a Bills fan. And so with that, I mean, we talked about some of the lowlights, the, probably the most prominent being the fall from grace of Sam Darnold. In terms of highlights, there wasn't many to come by. Can the number one with a bullet be considered the firing of Adam Gase? I would say for sure that the fact that they finally decided to own up to the mistake they made two years ago. And look, Words don't mean anything. Actions are all that matters. So now we'll see what they do in the coaching search. But at least Christopher Johnson, the acting owner, said the right things during the press conference, or I should say the conference call with the media the other day, where he said that they realize now that they made a mistake in hiring somebody whose primary qualification they were looking for was somebody that would be able to mold Sam Darnold, and they need somebody that's going to actually be the coach of the entire team, the offense, the defense. And I know this sounds elementary, but we've been watching football a long time. We know that a lot of teams make this mistake constantly. How many mm -hmm. times have the Bills, the Jets, or numerous other teams made the mistake of saying, this guy's a great offensive mind, hire him as head coach, or vice versa. So at least they seem to sort of understand that mistake. And also he said that while he technically will have the final say because he's the owner and that's just how this goes – it's more or less going to be Joe Douglas's show. Douglas will lead the interviews. Douglas will pick the candidates and Douglas will make the final recommendation. Johnson will more or less rubber stamp it unless there's something crazy that happens. And so that was nice to hear too, because last time around there were the phone calls from Peyton Manning, <laughs> all the stuff going on with Adam Gay, sweet talking the owner. The funny thing about it is guys, it's, uh, one guy whose name has been very popular among Jets fans, and I don't know how realistic it is that he would take the job or even accept an interview because two years ago he told the Jets to pound sand when they asked to speak to him about the job. But Matt Campbell from Iowa State, Kurt Warner tweeted out glowing praise of him and how he grew up in Iowa and Iowa State was always a, a nothing program. And now Matt Campbell's built it into something that he would be proud to have his children be a part of. And I said, listen, Hopefully, if an, a Hall of Fame quarterback calls Christopher Johnson this time, it's Kurt Warner and not Peyton Manning. <laughs> so that's pretty much where I'm at with this. But, yeah, the Gase firing's got to be at the top for that reason, too, that they seem to have actually genuinely, at least on paper, learned that they made a mistake. And then the other thing that, that's nice is that we did see not a lot, but at least some young talent step forward. Quinn Williams had a breakout year. He was outstanding. 
Makai Becton was much better than anybody could have reasonably thought in his rookie year because we all expected him to have a lot of growing pains. And look, he wasn't perfect. There were some growing pains, but he had a lot fewer growing pains than we thought he would. He looked a lot better in pass protection early on than we thought he would. Still some stuff to work on, but for a guy who is considered a bit of a rough around the edges type guy for his rookie year, he exceeded what we thought we would get out of him uh, as the, as a fan base. So, yeah, the, those are really the, the positives. There, there weren't a lot of them. <laughs> no, they, when you win two games, there's really not a whole lot to hang your hat on. I will say that, as we heard in the intro to the show, when Peter Schrager was talking about the, the, setup, of the, the setup of all this and the, I guess, the makeup of the search, Chris, it makes sense, right? Yeah, well, my favorite my favorite part about that opening was like, oh, it's going to be Joe Douglas and not a firm. <laughs> Who would if if I was the Jets and I was going to use a firm, I would go Joe Benino, Scott Mason, uh, Kyle Smith, and uh, Gary Vaynerchuk to lead the search for the next Jet, Jets head coach. Those would be that would be my firm. I, I should I should add that the reason that that's actually significant. I know it sounds silly, but. Back in 2013, after the Jets fired Mike Tannenbaum, they hired a firm known as Corn Ferry, and they're a pretty famous firm. They're a search firm that helps a lot of businesses when they're looking for high-profile candidates for positions. And Corn Ferry came back and recommended John Idzik, so that's <laughs> why a lot of people Is have said, no search firms, please. <laughs> oh, my God. See, now that anyway, actually makes me sad because that's a thing I didn't know. And now I just feel worse. It's like finding out you someone like someone you just picked on. Like you're like, oh, look at that guy. You mispronounced something, and they go, no, no, I'm just from Boston. And you go, oh, you just have a speech impediment. You can't help it. <laughs> Please, Boston accent, my ass. They can all. I'll see you all in hell. <laughs> well, we, the other the other thing is tr- too, Drew, is that uh, not that it was technically a search firm. But the Jets did bring in Charlie Casserly to help their GM search and coach search in 2015. And let's say just say that wound up with Mike McCagnan and Todd Bowles. So there you go. I believe Bill Belichick said it best. Has there anybody that's been more consistently wrong about everything than Charlie Casserly? Well, how about this one? I'll do you one better. <laughs> that sounds to me, Chris, search firm, Charlie Casserly, Peyton Manning, it sounds an awful lot like you almost would have been better off doing what the Raiders did and just hiring people that you see on TV who sound like they know what they're talking about. And that's the level of (laughs) stupidity we're talking about here. Hopefully this time around, the Jets can get it right. Because this is our time. The Patriots are on the downswing. And this is when I want every other team in this, this division to be able to dance on their graves a little bit. The Dolphins are doing it. We're doing it. I mean, we did it on national TV. We put shovel to face and then buried them. I want you guys to know what that feels like because I'm a bitter, bitter man. So as we close this conversation, a silver lining for 2020. If there was one thing you walk out of this season and you say to yourself, all of this stuff might have gone wrong, but at least I have blank. What is that? Well, I guess Mackay Becton and Quinn and Williams. <laughs> and, uh, I guess that that's really all I could say. And then the draft picks and all that stuff. The best way I could put it is the only thing that Jets fans can really hang their hat on right now is they're hoping that Joe Douglas 
is the guy at general manager. Early returns have been nice, but still we don't know enough. This will be the offseason that I think we finally learn for sure what's going on with Joe Douglas because he's got all these draft picks, he's got all the money to spend, and he's going to hire his own coach. So this will be the season that either gets him a contract extension or completely sinks him, and I think that's good. But as of right now, yeah, Mekhi Becton and Quinn Williams are the two players that I would hang my hat on. And by the way, guys, I have to point this out since nobody else brought it up. Did anybody else sense a little bit of irony in a team with Ryan Fitzpatrick on the roster, Week 17 needing to win to get into the playoffs, playing against the Bills team that had nothing to play for, and completely choking? Did anybody else notice that there was a little bit of synergy with the 2015 Jets? Well, what I love is that it was – I thought about that as it was happening because I was, I was like, I've seen this game. Ca- I was too busy counting points. <laughs> yeah. and, be, and because Chris isn't bright, it took him all of his fingers and most of his toes. But with, but with that in mind, I was thinking to myself, I've seen this movie before. The Bills have a way of doing this to people, and it usually comes with backups on the field. It usually comes with backup. I remember A.J. Tarpley had that game-sealing interception. He's a guy who never saw an NFL field again after that game. <laughs> that's, that's what <laughs> well, we're talking only, about here. The only positive this time is at least Joe Blewett didn't have to drive eight hours and freeze his butt off to watch it happen. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's one of my favorite stories is how hyped he was about that game and just the demoralizing drive home. That, it warms my cold black heart. My friend, thank you for being our Barry Horowitz this season. Thank you for bringing some levity to your just dark situation week in and week out. Next year's going to be better. Next year when we get together and do this, it's a new year. you got to have some hope that things are going to turn around. Probably because I don't think they could get any worse. So By default, they have to be better, which means we're going to have better things to talk about when you join us for these. Why don't you tell everybody what you have coming up over at Play Like a Jet this week and where people can find you? I hope that things get better, Drew. But as a Jets fan, as I like to say, I I told some younger Jets fans the other day, always expect that they will make a stupid decision and be pleasantly surprised if they don't. So that's pretty much how I'm entering the offseason and approaching the coaching search. Speaking, Speaking of the coaching search, by the way, that's what we're focusing on right now. So... The Jets have decided that they would like to try and bury me. So they have put out a list of a billion names of guys they're going to interview. So I'm slowly recording shows, and you gentlemen will join me for a show about Brian Dable, where I'm talking to people who cover the teams and know a lot about these guys and can help educate us. So we're doing all the ones that the Jets have put out there. Now, there are still some to come, but as of now, the Jets, Patrick Graham is out of the equation now, the Giants defensive coordinator. He pulled himself out of the running, apparently. He signed an extension with the Giants, and he's going to stay there. But as of now, Brian Dable is a candidate, your guy, the offensive coordinator for the Bills. Brandon Staley, the defensive coordinator for the Rams. Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. And as of right now, I believe it's those guys and Matt Eberfluss, the defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. I don't think to interview anybody else yet. There are still some names that we could see. And obviously, there are some college coaches that could get into the mix as well. But we're doing shows each day with a different candidate, full show, really breaking that guy down. 
We did this in 2019, did all the candidates. Our mutual friend, Travis Wingfield, joined me to break down Adam Gase. He, everything he said was right, and I'm not surprised because you know Travis is always on the ball. He told us what to expect. He warned us. He said, look, as much as I'd love to see the Jets suffer, for your sake, don't do this. And, of course, they did. So that's how that works. But the last time I came out of the coaching search, and I think my words were, Todd Monken or Matt Rule, do not hire Mike McCarthy or Adam Gase. So, of course, they hired Adam Gase. I was impressed with Monken through the research that I did with the shows, digging up stuff, talking to people. And maybe that happens this time. There could be a candidate that I don't know much about or that I'm not all that thrilled about. I do research and it changes my mind. So take that journey with me. We're available every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, believe it or not. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and also you can check us out at turnonthejets.com and follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. We're going to launch headfirst into the New England Patriots, who won 28-14 to in the first meaningless game I think we've watched the Patriots play in Week 17 for the last... 20 years. 20 years. 2000. And here to talk about it with us tonight, Mr. Mark Schofield. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. Drew's got the sweater vest on, looking resplendent. <laughs> oh, of course. Resplendent. How are you guys doing? Oh, uh, we're good. Christmas said he's cocky. I'm yeah. excited to hear that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very cocky. 13-3. and three. We're better than everyone. It's amazing. <laughs> now I understand what you have felt for the last 19 years. 19 years. Yeah. yeah. So, Enjoy it. You guys beat the Jets. I mean, before we really start this conversation, is there any real pride taken in that? No. <laughs> no. I, can I tell you something? I'm going to let you guys in on a secret. I didn't watch the game. It was the first time in 20 years I just consciously made the decision, I'm not going to watch this game. What's what's the point? Am, am I going to like watch this game, see Cam Newton throw three touchdown passes and like slowly talk myself into – bringing him back next year no what's the point i did a i recorded my show mostly like saturday afternoon for monday talked about a mock draft talked about cam newton a little bit oh i listened and then filled to it. in some blanks on sunday night i listened to it and it was i've listened to the last like two months of shows you've done and i gotta say it's some of your best work it's <laughs> yeah. some of your best work because my slow descent into madness has been fantastic for people. It's like if you could put, it's almost like a pod, football podcast version of The Shining. Like, I'm just watching you turning into, like, you're going to be working the Overlook Lodge. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's where it's I mean, at. Absolutely, Drew. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think my favorite one, I was just like, what does this even matter? Like, does this really matter? Like, that that was a good one, I think. Well, but, and, I mean, no, there's, there's no pride in beating the Jets in Week 17 when... You know, in reality, I would have rather than lost the game to slide up a draft spot or two. I mean, so let's be honest. So the theme of tonight's show, <laughs> highlights, lowlights, and if you could describe your 2020 season in a single word. So that's where we're going to start. What is the phrase of choice you would use to describe the New England Patriots in 2020? As expected. If you think back to the summer, right? If you think back to the summer, I was on with you guys and I said, look, 
Bill Belichick could do the best coaching job of his career, and this team could finish seven and nine. <laughs> and here we are. Do you think he did his best coaching job? I'm not sure he did his best, but I think he did a darn good one. I mean, this was an offense that was putrid. This was a defense that was not as good as we thought it was going to be. And they won some games they probably shouldn't have won. I mean, that Baltimore game stands out as one that they shouldn't have won that game. Now, weather probably played a factor in that. Um, but, yeah, they, they th- this was a depleted roster offensively, particularly at the skill positions. This was a defense that did not live up to expectations. And this was a season which you knew the schedule going in. You knew Buffalo was going to be better. You thought Miami would be a little bit better, not a playoff contending team, but you thought they'd be a little bit better. Um, you looked around at the rest of the league and you saw it's other teams getting better, and it was year one post-Brady with a quarterback that signed late in the game and didn't get a full training camp. Um, you know, I, I think you know the, the week one win, the close game against Seattle, you know, those gave us some hope. Um, the win over Baltimore gave us some hope, some glimmers of hope, but you know they they were mirages. I mean this this was a this was the start of a rebuild. How long that rebuild lasts is going to be determined over the next four months. I'm surprised he went as expected to describe the Patriots season. If I was going to describe your season in one word, it would be romper. <laughs> <laughs> My wife, I'll say this. If we want to talk about highlights and lowlights of the 2020 season, highlights, you had some, right? I mean, you've got some young players that were rounding into form. Damian Harris, I'll start you off. I'll even give you the uh, like the like the kid with training wheels on the bike. I'll give you a push. Damian Harris overtaking the RB1 job. I think proving that he was a more effective back than Sony Michelle, but that you now have a one-two punch at running back legitimately between the tackles, outside the tackles. That has to be something, right? I mean, Harris is something. Michael Wenu, their sixth rounder out of Michigan. Um, that's certainly something. Oh, he was like an all He made the all-rookie team, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's going to be a potential rock-solid offensive lineman for them, whether it's a guard or tackle for years to come, hopefully. So that was good to see. Uh, the emergence of Jacoby Myers as a legitimate NFL wide receiver, I think, is good to see. So there were some bright spots. Um, offensive line largely stayed healthy, um, which is a bright spot because this offensive line is probably the best part of that offense right now. On defense, I mean, I think you saw flashes from Josh Uche. You saw flashes from Chase Winovich. You saw Kyle Duggar's athleticism show up at times. And, you know, this was supposed to be a sort of a, a caddy year for him, carrying the clubs for Patrick Chun, but he had to play wire wire. And I think he showed at least that, look, small school Division two kid, he belongs in the NFL. And he has some time now to figure stuff out. So, look, it, it, it's not an absolute abject failure of a season. There were some things to be excited about. But when one of your, you know, in-game highlights is a loss in week two where you thought, hey, this, te- this offense could throw the ball a little bit, that tells you overall what your season has been. <laughs> So if we're talking about lowlights, first of all, your loss to Buffalo on Monday Night Football, was that the lowest moment of the season? No, no. The, 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 I think the Niners loss, I mean, wait, I the Niners. Wait, the Niners loss was worse than what we did to you guys on Monday Night Football? You guys are a 13-3 team. <laughs> the Niners came in That's when fair. New England had some hope. 
and 33 to six. I mean, that game was over early. Um, you know, I, I, you know, obviously I did a lot of Buffalo type shows before this week 16 game. And, you know, I was telling people, no, it's, it's you know, it's not going to be close. It's probably going to be at least three scores. Like I had no expectations going into that game that it was going to be close. Um, so while it was demoralizing, that was one of those this freaking guy moments from Josh Allen where you were just like, there's nothing you could do. Like when he's backpedaling, rolling to his left and throwing bullets to Stephon Diggs in the end zone. As he's falling down. As he's falling down, he's like, oh, yeah, there's my wide receiver. Boom, shoot the gun. Touchdown. No, so, I mean, I I think the Niners lost. I think the Rams lost where they just just weren't in it. And that one was disappointed from a – a game plan perspective. <laughs> you know, they did, they just they were out coached that night. My and favorite check said as much. My so favorite part of that game more than anything else. My favorite part of that game was watching them when the whole world knew that from the three yard line they were gonna run it with Cam Newton twice. Yeah. They still did it. They didn't even they try to did. trick anyone. They still tried to do it and turned it over on downs. Yeah. They just they had no answers when they felt like they needed to throw the ball. Their answer when they felt like they had to throw to score was to run the football. I think that uh, your podcast following that loss to Buffalo, the that, that was the Nothing Really Matters podcast. That's what you called it. Yeah. And at one point, you were like, I, if I can remember the quote correctly, you said in your podcast, the list is too big to pick from of things that went wrong, like us punting – us punting on fourth and four when we're down by 30 points because nothing matters. Go eat at Arby's. It, it does. I, like the way I opened that show was how much I love the movie Love Actually. And that's the night they dropped that horrific Brady Belichick graphic from that movie. And I was like, I love this movie. That was one of the most horrific things I've ever seen in my life. And it still wasn't the worst part of watching that game. And then my wife, I'll say this, one of the lowlights that I subscribed to your team was Cam Newton as a leader on that football team. And I think it just goes to, it's been, it's followed him his whole career. He's never been a strong leader for all the things he says about, you know, you see the workout videos of him on Instagram, punching his chest and talking about, they, they underestimate me and bop, 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 bop. That's all great. You can, but he's a me guy. And when you put him in a New England team that's not about those types of characters, it fit like a – it was like you right now being the uh, doughy 40-something that you are trying to put on a Michael Jackson leather jacket and get out there and promote yourself as Thriller. That's about how well it fit. <laughs> and That's quite the uh, that, that's quite the little characterization Yes, um, an analogy, my friend. Yes, I it mean, is. Look, I'm I, just saying I still have some moves. From you still have some day. moves. And I also have some news, by the way. I don't know if you saw on the Bird app, but the guy I backed up in college has on film some of my games. Yes! Oh, my God, I've been waiting for this day. (laughs) I've been waiting for this day for a long time. I literally – I did a show with Waldman today, and we talked about it, and – Plans are in works of perhaps a Mark Schofield RSP film role. Yes, Chris, this might be the greatest thing to ever happen to us. I'm yeah. just, I'm just. If we can get that, Schofield's say. college tape with with uh, Waldman's commentary, that would be gold. Oh my god, 
It's like Fergie and Jesus had a baby. With no, but as as for the cam stuff, though, I mean, I think there is something to that, Drew, and that you know the fit wasn't quite right from a personality standpoint. You know, when when you listen to people talk about Cam and his time in New England, you know everybody said the right things that they appreciated what he brought. But the fact that they're not apparently bringing him back, um, that there's already talks of like this, they're just going their separate ways, and he's already pretty much said as much as that he's done in New England. That probably tells you that the fit just wasn't quite right. I'm so, gonna point at two things. One, you can't wear a romper in November and December. <laughs> I love how <laughs> I do recall when he showed up for his like COVID testing so that he could be on part of the team. He got out in a he got out of his truck and he was caught by the paparazzi wearing like a black. He was wearing like a hat that belonged to Slash and a romper that was black and white striped. And I rem- but all these wristbands and bracelets. And I remember saying it looked like Slash, Beetlejuice, and uh, Debo from Friday had a baby. Oh wow. Like they just all had a, like that's the love child right there, and oh, and Johnny Depp and Johnny Depp. I was like Johnny oh, Depp got God. in there. So when I look at Cam, I think back to my wife. I think she hit this on the head. It was after the Bills game. She's watching the post game. I mean, we stayed up all night with that game. We were loving it. We were having a great time, and we're watching the post game. And my wife goes, "What is Cam Newton doing? He gets out there in this red or no, a yellow and black camouflage hoodie." And he slowly, over the course of the interview, starts drawing the drawstrings till it's covering his face. And then he starts to lean to one side. And he starts to drift out of the camera. And eventually, it's like he's laying on the table. And my wife goes, is he the Wicked Witch of the West? Is he melting? Like, is that what we're watching happen? And I laughed so hard because I'm like, honey, you as my wife, who knows very little about football, is watching this play out. And you think it's comedy. I can't imagine anyone who takes this football team seriously. I can't imagine that sitting well with them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think for a lot of us, we knew going in that Cam was going to be a different personality. That if you were sort of used to the buttoned up, straight laced approach of Tom Brady, you were going to be in for a bit of a shock. And, you know, what was interesting sort of watching Cam over the season is that. You know, you could see the failure of the year start to wear on him. You know, early in the year, even later in the season, like say late November, early December, he's still pretty outgoing with the media, outgoing during Zoom sessions and stuff. You know, but late when it came became apparent this team wasn't going to the playoffs, you saw that sort of melt away, like sort of what you saw play out physically. You know, he did sort of melt away. That sort of steel bravado melted away, and it was just a guy that would, almost seemed broken in a sense. He talked about, you know, not having seen his – played with his kids for three months, four months, not, you know, living away from them and how that sort of took a toll on him, you know, and he felt for him as a human. Um, you know, it's it was a tough year. It was a tough year for him. It was a tough year for this team. Uh, and they have a lot of work to do. That We're learning tonight. We're recording this on Tuesday night. You know, they're losing, looks like, Nick Cassiero to Houston. Um, there might be some expectations of other movement, coaching staff, front office. Um, this could – the potential is for a quick turnaround in terms of draft capital and cap space and the like. But they got to get a lot of things right. And you can see scenarios where they don't. And instead of a quick turnaround, you have a deeper slide into, dare we say, irrelevance. <sighs> See, you know, we've been asking everybody for a silver lining, but you just 
really took a dark turn there. That's what I do. That's what I do. But I mean, look, if you're looking for a silver lining for the New England Patriots, if you're a Patriots fan and listen to this, a why interest and choice, but okay, <laughs> and B, look, they do have draft capital. You know, they're going to have a top fifteen pick. They've got guys that opted out coming back. They've got cap space. They've got an offensive line. You can build from the trenches out. There's an opportunity to take some swings in free agency given the space that they have that they might not have done before. There might be a willingness to do that because this organization might have learned this year that when you don't have Tom Brady, you need you can't just like rely on him to mask over your sins from a roster construction standpoint. So you've got to get things right. These days of like nibbling around the edges in free agency, like not doing anything until like the fourth or fifth day and then signing some random backup safety that you're going to turn into a linebacker because you're Bill Belichick, God damn it, you can do it. <laughs> like those days might be gone. You might have to take some bigger swings. So, you know, that's your silver lining. This, this might have been an educational year for this organization and they have the resources to make some more aggressive moves this spring. Sir? Where can people find your upcoming work, and what do you have? Uh, what do you have going on on your side of the fence? Well, you can find me on the Bird app at Mark Schofield, uh, USA Today Touchdown Wire. I am doing all the AFC previews for USA's touchdown, USA Today's Touchdown Wire. Dropped a piece on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday night, actually trying to figure out how the Colts might try and solve the Josh Allen riddle. It's hard because Josh Allen, he's very good against man coverage. He's pretty good against zone coverage. He's pretty good against everything. So I don't know what you do except for maybe pray. But, yeah, you can look for stuff like that this weekend. Like I said, easiest way on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Oh, Mark Schofield, Scott Mason, Alfa Arteaga, three of the best people that we know to close out a nice season with the AFC East. And that leaves us with the Buffalo Bills. The Bills won 56-26 over Miami. And if I had one word to describe the Bills' 2020 season, it's unfinished. The Buffalo Bills are the only AFC's representative to make the 2020 NFL postseason, which we have a full preview of our upcoming game against the Colts with analyst Brett Coleman on over on our Rockpile Report podcast. Go check that out if you haven't already. Also, if you haven't, before kickoff on Saturday, I urge you, go read Deion Dawkins' letter in the Players' Tribune. It's It's an expansion of the one he wrote immediately following our loss to the Houston Texans last season. And it couldn't be more fitting. Did did he talk about how uh, he helped you throw a couch away? (laughs) No. They didn't touch on that? He somehow left out the time that he and I had to throw away a couch. Yeah, that's a hilarious story. (laughs) Poor Reed. (laughs) Poor Boy Scout Reed. (sighs) I mean, when you read it, You'd be hard-pressed not to, Chris, even a cold black heart like yours, you're going to tear up a little bit. You're going to get a little, you're going to be like the Grinch on Christmas. Your heart's going to grow two sizes. I don't think so. Words don't mean anything to me. (laughs) But his words kind of speak to what this is. We're on the doorstep of something here. Something fantastic. Maybe even unbelievable. And it's natural to feel anxiety in those moments. Even if we have, as fans, been on this emotional autopilot for the last two weeks. The Bills have been cruising, and we've been... Chris, we've never been looser on game days. You haven't. I haven't. This is the best. This is the best I've felt. The least amount of anxiety I've had about this football team in years. (sighs) 
I'll say that in what has been one of the most trying years in recent human history, you'd be hard-pressed to find a man, woman, or child who would tell you that this 2020 Bills season hasn't been a bright spot for people. At a time when people are suffering, there's a lot of uncertainty about the future. In a lot of cases, people are just looking for something, literally anything, positive to hang their hat on. Something that makes getting out of bed every Monday morning a little bit easier. This football team has delivered. They delivered us this record-breaking, wildly entertaining, and franchise-redefining season. I think it's brought people, new fans, old-timers, and some people, like my father, who had given up hope of ever seeing this team right the ship. It brought people together at a time when it feels like we've never been, not just physically, but also philosophically and emotionally divided. This team was a bonding thing, not just for these players, not just, but for us as fans, I'd like to think as people. And it's brought out a better, so you see the charity that it's brought out in people at a time when if you asked anybody else, the sky was falling and we're all doomed. And yet, Bills fans donated a million dollars to a children's hospital. I saw the Colts fans were starting to donate as well. Yeah. Arizona fans, I know, did that uh, earlier in the season as well. It's just a growing thing. It's, been, it's amazing. The 2020 Buffalo Bills have brought out the good in people at a time when everything was going to hell. And the world around us is kind of threatening to pull everybody apart. I love it. And I love you guys. And I love the fact that as we sit here and bask in what the 2020 regular season was for each of us, each of our guests tonight, our ending as Bills fans hasn't been written yet. I can't wait to find out what that looks like, Chris. To Saturday. Cheers. Cheers. And with that in mind, I want to thank each and every one of our amazing guests that have made this AFCE's Roundup podcast this year such a success in its very first season. When I pitched this idea, you were on the fence a little bit. I was, no, I was fine with it. If you want to try something, let's do it. We don't know what, you don't know what's going to work unless you try it. And, you know, pretty much a uh, success outside of uh, you claiming to be an Alabama fan and spending the entire season season mispronouncing Tunga Viola. Not gonna, not gonna, not gonna, not gonna say it right. That's how, that's how this works. Chris, let's break down the fourth wall here for a minute. Timing, efficiency. A podcast like this takes a lot of it, and I'm not great at it. Uh, C. How? That's your greatest C. And yet you stuck by me all season. I can't. I'm, you know, if I didn't, there would be no host. You stuck be by me. me. It would be me with no personality trying to talk football, which is nobody should listen to that. I appreciate you for, for gutting this thing out with me. We worked out the kinks, and I think we put together an entertaining show. Yeah. We'll be back throughout the course of the offseason with guests, some old, some new, talking about offseason plans, franchise changes, draft prep around the division, and a lot more stuff here. I want to say thank you to the fans of other teams who have taken time out of your weeks to join us. We appreciate the support. I'm looking forward to using this as a vehicle to create a lot of really unique content and do some different things that we haven't gotten to do with a Bill-centric podcast over the course of the upcoming summer. It's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you check back each week. But guys, it's playoff time, so we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this is your AFC's Roundup. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.